The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Welcome back to another very special episode of Biopsychosocial. I am Jordan. I'm the world's okayest nurse. And I'm Kayla, a therapist who is cool. <laughs> the world's coolest therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and here and here on our little our little show, we're going to talk about fundies or fundamentalism. Yes, yeah, specifically fundamentalist Christians. Yes. But fundamentalism is a broad term of people that believe the literal interpretation of their religious text. So it is not only Christians, but um, in the United States, um, fundamentalism is largely based on Christianity. The majority of the population in the United States are Christians. So it would make sense that we would see more fundamentalist Christians. Um, By all means, this is not the Mm -hmm. only religion where people believe the spiritual text literally. Just as a general rule, believing anything literally, um, including IKEA instructions, is not a good idea. So, you know, I mean, live your life, but here we are. Question everything. Question everything. Disclaimer. So, live your life. Uh, We do not care. Kayla and I are not theologians. Um, However, Kayla and I do take issue when belief systems affect the rights and livelihoods of others. So therefore, believe what you believe, but please do not be an asshole. Mm -hmm. And please don't, I I mean, I guess this probably goes without saying, and I know you agree too, but whenever religion starts to abuse people, exploit people, I have an extreme problem with that as well. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about our televangelists. Uh, so religion is supposed to be based on love and truth and making the world a better place and trying to make sense about uh, make sense of the world that we live in. That's the point of this. When religion starts to demean or abuse or other or um, spread hatred toward other people, that is where we take issue. So at least in the United States, the country that Kayla and I live in, uh, fundamentalism really had its heyday in the 1970s. And I think we've discussed this before, saying that fanaticism, cults, that sort of groupthink mentality really had its heyday in that era. Um, We're kind of seeing it now, sort of. Usually when there's great social upheaval, there tends to be a lot of fanaticism sort of making headway because people are trying to grapple with, you know, we saw it obviously uh, right before World War II in Europe. People are trying to make sense of, you know, a really complicated situation. So when you try to oversimplify something, we sort of tend to get into, you know, a a mindset that oversimplifies a really complicated problem. And that is an issue. Um, So we were in the midst after the 1970s, if you know anything about, if you know anything about American history, it was the sexual revolution, um, Roe v. Wade, feminism, the civil rights movement. Um, And as usual, the old straight white man took great issue with this because it was um, taking away some of their power. But if they actually realized power isn't a pie, but you know, here we are. So in the 1970s is when we actually, 
saw, you know, cherry picked scripture verses and Bible verses that sort of made a, not sort of, definitely made a moral issue of homosexuality, sexuality in general, empowerment of women, and as a as a means of to try to keep the status quo normalcy. I actually went to a series of conferences. Um, I am um, I identify as um as a congregationalist, which is a pretty uh, is a pretty liberal sect of the Protestant Church. My church is open and affirming, which means that we recognize LGBTQA folks, they can hold positions of power in our church, uh, they can be married in the church, and they, and also, um, you know, they try to dismantle the, you know, the religious status quo and be anti-racist, pro-women, and really basically acknowledge that the roots of the church, at least in the last couple of decades, um, has has been extremely oppressive and, and far beyond that. So, um, during that open and affirming process, I went to a series of lectures about the Bible and what it actually says about homosexuality, which is really not a hell of a lot. Well, this wasn't really something that was like, I don't want to say it wasn't going. I mean, homosexuality has been around forever. Sure. But it wasn't really, people didn't really care about it. Like, it wasn't a no, thing no, no, no. were thinking about back then. So, um, and I mean, well, I mean, I guess this is, could, you know, you could construe this as part of a way of creating an us versus them mentality, but like the ancient Greeks, for example, you could be a woman who is with a woman, you could be a man who's with man, and it was like not really that big of a deal. It it wasn't. And also that time in history was way more egalitarian. They were trying mm-hmm. to survive. They were at war and basically didn't care who you were sleeping with. Can can you make sure that we don't die today? Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it um, was, exa- like you said, it was about a survival. So we saw yeah. that across a lot of cultures. Right. And again, Kayla and I are not theologians. If, um, if you can go to some sort of seminar. Actually, the seminar that I went to was a member of the clergy who is, um, he was a gay, he's a gay man. Um, mm-hmm. So we ex- kind of explained a lot of the passages that get, you know, hey, look, see, the Bible says, you know, being gay is bad. And a lot of the passage, it's it's cherry picked. It's taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And I think like the the Leviticus that people quote a lot, it's um it's rules about members of the clergy. And members of the clergy are held to a different standard, as we know, uh, than regular general parts of the population. So it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Right. And they're in general well, at least in Catholicism, meant to be celibate in general. So Correct, correct. So basically, it was, you know, it was misconstrued to be sort of a power, is to be a power play. Because, you know, the world changed and people weren't ready for the world to change. So that's kind of a basic background of how fundamentalism came to rise in this country. Okay. So for my part, I focused on characteristics of fundamentalism and its appeal to other people. And I found some really interesting research. So one of the research articles that I read was from a journal called Critical Research on Religion. This was done by Razagi et al. from the Islamic Republic of Iran Mm -hmm. at the University of Guilan, I'm going to say. I have no idea if that's the correct way to pronounce it, but... They were looking at religious fundamentalism, individuality, and collective identity, a case study of two student organizations in Iran. So they focused on two fundamentalist groups of Muslim uh, students in Iran. But so I think it's, you know, it's worth noting that it's 
a focus on a different religion, but I think a lot of the characteristics are similar. Yeah. Um, including what they say is like the the foundations of it began in the 70s and 80s with political developments and events in Iran, Afghanistan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Sudan, Bangladesh, and Libya. So the so basically the scene that was set is very similar to that of yes. the United States in the 1970s, which makes which makes sense. We've seen that pattern in many conversations that we've had on this podcast. So they kind of focus. They outlined different characteristics that we see in fundamentalist groups, starting with non-based individuality. So the conditions before joining the group, they talked about, they said, when these five indices are brought together with a harmonious and imitative character, and then combined with moving away from the motherland and feeling threatened, individuals seek a replacement, replacing their identity with fundamentalism or reconstruct their identity through fundamentalist beliefs. In this situation, since the individual's collective identity is more fertile than their own individuality, he or she will in- reconstruct or redefine his or her collective identity. Okay, so it's basically, you know, you're living in a vacuum, you're thinking the way the other people think around you. So I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was their sense of duality, right? Mm -hmm. So everything is black and white, there's God and Satan, there's good and evil, right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that threatens them as a collectivist group is any sort of individuality, for one, but also any different perspective or worldview because it threatens their collective, very traditional, very fundamentalist beliefs. Because you're to take a set of religious sect or religious text as literal. There is no room for interpretation. This is what's on the paper. This is what we believe. Right. And if I... If you have this this fundamental belief in the very traditional aspects of your uh, religious text or your religious faith, and I come in and I'm like, well, let me present to you my ideas about the world. Mm-hmm. I now you are you run the risk of now going running away from your fundamentalist beliefs because I've presented you with a new perspective. And so if you accept my perspective, now we're in trouble. So this is like an us versus them mentality as well. Sure. So their duality extends to that, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And to think in, it's basically a fool's errand to think that you're going to read the same text the same way as another person, or even the same way at different portions of your life. I mean, I read Harry Potter differently when I was 13, differently than I read Harry Potter when I was 30. Thank you. That's just humanity. That's just what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to grow and evolve as a person. You can't take anything for face value literally the same way twice. So this part says any individuality is excluded in this philosophy because the first condition of individuality is independence and a unique way of life that is not recognized in the attitude of fundamentalists. Um, They continue to say one of the various reasons for this lack of tolerance and deviation is that it undermines group solidarity and conformity. This is why it blurs the distinction with people outside the group. This, I mean, this made a lot of sense to me. I think the characteristics of people, um, the reasons why people join fundamentalist religion to me seemed a lot, a lot similar to why people join cults. I was about to say the same thing. I mean, you know, you have plenty of like, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses that just call it a cult. You know, they'll tell you I was in a cult. Like they're not, they're not mincing words. No, nor should they. In our opinion, don't sue us. Yeah, it's the, it's the same thing. It's the same, you know, 
looking for a sense of normalcy, looking for a sense of belonging, looking for answers to really complicated questions. That's why people join cults. So it's any sort of group think, black and white, us versus them group. That's It's the same thing. Which is why it's so important, no matter what your beliefs are, that you take information in and take a step back and say, how does this fit into my beliefs? Does this make sense to me? Is this a rational view? Yeah. Rather than just taking it at face value and saying, okay, this is the truth. You know, we see that on our side of the spectrum as well. So we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll even be sitting in church and our pastor will say, okay, here's the scripture. And she goes, let's think about this from a 2021 Mm -hmm. lens. Right. So essentially what they say is that uh, fundamentalism came about from globalization because now we have these new modern views that were being presented And I think, like you just said, a part of that is, you know, you're looking at these ancient texts Mm -hmm. where the issues of the modern world did not exist. So where back then people were getting from these religious texts answers to the problems of the world and the questions that they had, it can't exactly answer those questions in the same way. No. Verbatim. Like if you were to take the foundation of Christianity and apply it, you know, and say, okay, how does this explain the world ending, basically, <laughs> like the, our world slowly dying because of the, the uh, climate crisis? Yeah. You would probably be able to figure out just on your own, based on your beliefs, how that, how that makes sense in yeah. your worldview. Um, it's not going to say, it probably doesn't say much in religious texts about a climate crisis or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Because it wasn't going on back then, or they weren't thinking about it in the same way. It doesn't say much about the world ending. The world was just beginning. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't think about that. They were just trying to survive. You know, the thought of the world going on for thousands and thousands of years was a far-reaching thing that they wouldn't even have considered. And in general, things that worked back then don't necessarily work now. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of years later. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of... So when it was one of the instances where one of the first trans people was elected into some sort of government office, I don't remember the exact context, Mm -hmm. but some religious nut job was like, shocker, Christians, what are you doing about this? And Brene Brown, our girl, Brene Brown, we love Christian. We love her. Definitely not a fundamentalist. No. Responded by saying like the same thing we've been doing this whole time, loving our neighbors, teaching our children how to accept people, Mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth. To me, that's adapting your beliefs to a changing world. Yeah. Here's the thing with religion. The nuts and bolts are the same. The nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. don't change. Love one another. And that's not a, you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a fundamental thing. That's not a rhetoric, uh, you know, that... You can piecemeal or you can manipulate. It's just a basic truth that humans, you know, humans want to be loved, accepted, and, you know, invalidated. That's the truth everywhere. And that's been the truth for thousands of years. And it's going to be the truth for another thousands of years as we as humans exist. It's when you manipulate those beliefs to demean another group of people or to increase your own power that we have a problem. Okay. So the second source that I found was, it was some sort of like sociology blog. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand what general information they were presenting other than like sociology. Um, This one says unit three. So I don't know if this is from a textbook. I have no idea. Sure. But I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll link to the blog in our show notes. So, Mm mm-hmm. So to begin with, this this says that um, Christian fundamentalism in the United States started when 
Protestants kind of broke off into liberal sect and conservative sect. Um, so the the conservative Protestants were kind of the first fundamentalists in the United States for Christian Christians yes. in about the 1880s. And so some of the characteristics of fundamentalism are that the religious texts are seen as perfect. Mm-hmm. There's profound rejection of modern society. Mm-hmm. So living in the modern world is seen as problematic because of the variety of choice. Activism is strongly encouraged. Fundamentalists are vocal in their struggle of good versus evil. Fundamentalism reinforces nationalism, which we see all the time in the United States. Red flag. And fundamentalists have a political agenda. Red flag. Absolute opposition to basically anything about the changing world, anything progressive, right? So anything Mm -hmm. like whether it's gay marriage or abortion, birth control, they don't want to hear any of it because it really threatens their understanding of their sacred texts and things like that. Right. Because there's no room for nuance and yes, change and basically humanity. I was going to I was about to get ahead of myself. But um, I, well, I, let me let me bring that to the fore now. So one of the aspects of fundamentalism as well is like an authoritative leader. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the the journal article that I read essentially said that when you're a member, but not a leader, you kind of, you're kind of just, your individuality is gone. You're part of the collective group. You don't question anything you do as you're told, but leaders in these kind of groups are very authoritarian. Mm -hmm. They're very confident. They're very um, individualistic. It's very different. Like they're allowed to be different. Right. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of this whole idea of having this, sacred perfect text Mm -hmm. and having a rule that we cannot question it and having me as your group leader tell you how to interpret it reinforces control that's all i was going to say about that (laughs) that was was my profound wisdom about this (laughs) all i was thinking the whole time was authoritative leader something that kayla and i would do terribly with (laughs) oh my god we would be like you have to do this and people would be like what if i don't want to we'd be like that's okay (laughs) Fuck around and find out, bitch. So the appeal of fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. There's the marketing. Fundamentalist groups have been very successful in making ancient beliefs relevant relevant in contemporary society. For example, Mm -hmm. ISIS's use of social media. Mm -hmm. Totalism. uh, They have been very successful in integrating faith into all areas of life, not just periodic worship. Personal transformation. uh, Fundamentalist groups have drawn in members from all social groups because of its promise of direct spiritual experience there's grassroots involvement so they're populist and non-elitist which where did we hear that for a very long time those <laughs> those, uh, those coastal elites right i know yeah. um mm-hmm. so they they come across as non-elitist mm-hmm. they have a flattened hierarchy where active involvement is encouraged and personal healing sought after there's a certainty they offer certainty in a world of choice so they appeal to those who seek a moral anchor in a world of unlimited choice, like a, po- a postmodern world. Right. Again, their their scriptures are perfect, considered to be perfect, and they have all of the answers to the questions about life. They only have one. There's only one true view of the world. They back up their arguments using religious texts and dogma rather than rational argument. Why do they exist? Again, reaction to globalization, which has undermined traditional social norms, mm-hmm. and they offer protection from an increasingly risky uncertain world they will keep you being relevant like a gang if you're in prison yeah 
So they'll keep you being, yeah, so they'll keep your irrelevant ass uh, from being irrelevant. So, So why do we give a shit? Like I said, Kayla and I are not theologists, but we do care about marginalized people. So I focused on the LGBTQA community because they are a marginalized group, especially within the realm of healthcare. And their marginalization increased with the rise of fundamentalism, truly. Um, So I did a lot of research. My research was a lot drier than Kayla's. Um, That's interesting because I thought this was pretty dry. (laughs) This one must have been been pretty bad. Girl, this was a lot of graphs. This was a lot of charts. This was a lot of charts. So... And I actually did. Um, I actually did a couple of classes on this um, LGBT, LGBTQA community within the healthcare arena, and mm-hmm. it aligned on what my research found. So, so the LGBTQA community um, are at higher risk for a lot of diseases. They have higher rates of cigarette smoking and alcohol use. Indirectly, had to do with you know religious sex. Uh, because uh, bars were one of the only safe places to socialize as a mm-hmm. member of the as the LGBT as a member of the LGBTQA community, so you know, ipso facto, you ended up drinking more, and it was a safe mm-hmm. place to go to. Also, um, higher rates of mental illness, depression, uh, suicidal ideations. Um, mm-hmm. So addiction tends to follow those. Um, it tends to follow, and also. Uh, the health risk related to so higher incidence of heart disease, uh, cancer, need for more frequent mental health care, and uh, you know, unfortunately, not culturally competent care is found for the mm. LGBTQQA community. And also, it is worth mentioning elderly LGBTQA community um, huge uh, social isolation, lack of community support, lack of social programs as well, and a lot of times they are indeed recloseted. And uh, I didn't find a lot about research for this, but it is worth mentioning. Um, so, folks that are isolated from their families because of their sexuality, they weren't accepted, so they have a smaller support circle. Thankfully, fictive kin uh, people that mm-hmm. are using friends as family are incredible, and I've seen incredible cases of that in my career as well. But it does uh, complicate social support and also support while going through chronic illnesses, which you know higher instances of smoking and drinking uh, does indeed cause this. Right, and in general, in general, you can't. I mean, you can't list your bestie as your next of kin. You can. You're going on my please contact list, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking if if you don't have anyone listed and something emergent happens, mm-hmm. they might, you know, it, they're going to call your family, your spouse, yep. if you have one, not your bestie. No, which is why you should have advanced directives. But anyway, another, so a huge, huge, huge um, landmark watershed moment uh, for the LGBTQA community that was complicated by fundamentalism was... Um, the AIDS crisis, and I don't think that's too strong a word. AIDS pandemic, AIDS crisis. I'll start at the be. Uh, I'm going to start at the beginning and then go to the end. So, 2017, the CDC guidelines came out regarding HIV. So, pre-exposure prophylaxis is um, greatly recommended for especially men who have sex with men. So, a lot of trust in a lot of establishment needs to be in the healthcare arena for that to happen and for compliance and right. access as well. 
And for all the reasons mentioned, uh, not culturally competent care. I, I think essentially what you're saying is that people have to be willing to, well, at that time, people had to be willing to come out yep. in order to say to their doctor, hey, I think I'm a good candidate for this medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even nowadays, people who are engaging in risky behavior have to be clear with their doctor about that. So there has to be some element of trust and people couldn't really, still can't really, yeah. <laughs> in general, trust their doctor because you don't know. It's a, it's a stranger. It's someone who has authority, you know. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of the research shows, you know, having, you know, how to be a culturally competent um you know, healthcare provider. What if you walk into an office and all the pamphlets have, you know, different gendered couples, like, you know, just a man and a woman presenting as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no literature about HIV. Some healthcare providers will have a pride flag on their on their lapel. And I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Um, so knowing that you could actually say, hey, you know, I'm a homosexual, I have a partner, you know, knowing that it's okay to do that. It's more of a uh, it's more of an issue than one would think in the years to come. People would say, "Oh yeah, people are just out and they're fine. It's on TV. It's fine." No, it's no, it's not fine. People still feel uncomfortable uh, disclosing their disclosing their sexuality. So it is still an issue, and it's not just you know a social issue, a comfort level. It could be a matter of life and death because we're finding the research shows pre-exposure prophylaxis is saving people's lives. We know that we can manage HIV at this point. And that was what I was going to discuss. I was going to discuss the AIDS pandemic, you know, epidemic. And as we are living through an epidemic now, we know how hideous it is. It was just as bad. So it started 1980 was really the jumping off point where homosexual men were dying of diseases that we weren't not seeing one of them, Carposi's Carposi's sarcoma, which is a very, very rare, very aggressive um, form of cancer that attacks immunocompromised people. People were dying of pneumonias, like young, young, young folks in their 20s. And they're finding that it was a disease that was affecting, like I said, homosexual men. Uh, in 1983, I do have to give a shout out to this um, Ward 86 in San Francisco. Uh, there was a really fantastic documentary about it. So uh, shout out to those healthcare providers. It was run by nurses and it's a healthcare model that is still used to this day where people with HIV were cared for holistically and respectfully and not treated as social pariahs. It was... Um, yeah, just fan, just fantastic. Uh, 1984, patient zero was sort of seen as a villain, and it was chalked up as one gay man that was sexually promiscuous and intentionally giving people HIV, which is you know completely ridiculous and hideous and a scare fa- and a you know a what's the word I'm looking for a scare tactic, mm-hmm. fear mongering, fear mongering, yes. And it's also worth mentioning that fundamentalist groups uh, did sort of become politically active back in the 1970s. So they were very vocal in this point in time. I'm not going to go over all of the horrible things that they said, because I really don't want to say them again. Right. But overall, the impact, the I mean, the impact that it had that they were influencing politics was that people were afraid of gay people. Yep. People died, obviously, because of directly because of that. I'll talk about how many in a little bit. And I think 
a big part of it too was that we didn't not we reagan they the, oh i'm the, about to get to oh, him so the political um, administration at the time did not disseminate this information. So people didn't understand HIV and AIDS. You know, they didn't know that you can't get it from hugging somebody. Correct. So, I mean, for those of you who are old enough to remember mm-hmm. the fact that Princess Diana visited children who had HIV and AIDS and was embracing them was like a huge mm-hmm. fucking thing because yep. people did not do that back then. And yep. even Mother Teresa if I knew her full name, I would call her by her full name, like I do Philip McGraw, would not touch would not touch people with AIDS. Correct. So and it's also my shout out to Ward 86 because they were embracing and having meals with people with HIV and AIDS. Um so I will say eight nineteen fucking eighty-five was the first time Reagan said AIDS in public. So the pandemic, the epidemic pandemic, I don't think that's uh that's an inaccurate term, started in nineteen eighty. So five years later, for reference, we have been in a, we have been in a pandemic for two years now. So just think another three years down the road before the leader of the free world actually said something about it. Is ridiculous. So from 1981 to 1987, 50,000, over 50,000 people had AIDS. From 1988 to 1992, 202,000 people had AIDS. So it was a day late and a fucking dollar short. Mm-hmm. And I mean, imagine, imagine if nobody told us about COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's much more contagious, obviously. You, sure. you can just like cough next to somebody and get it. But Still, like if nobody told us this is what COVID is, this is how to protect yourself, this is how to protect yeah. others, it would have been far fucking worse. And it was already bad. It was already bad, but it could have been far fucking worse. And to confound, you had, you know, the fundamentalist right that took an interest in politics saying, well, you know, if people just stopped having sex with men and using IV drugs, this wouldn't be an issue. Yes. I also, as part of this, watched Tick, Tick, Boom, and that was, that was uh, they showed some footage from Washington, D.C. when they were saying that sort of thing, and it was absolutely bullshit. I was getting ridiculously pissed off at, at Reagan, and that I, you know, was going off on a tangent yelling to my husband, who said, can you please save it for the podcast? <laughs> no! Mm-hmm. Our, our hatred for Reagan at lasts all the time. It never ends. It knows no bounds. <laughs> no. Thanks for, thanks for Medicare, but F you. So it's just, you know, so that's why it matters. So you can have these, you know, you can have these bullshit beliefs, sure. But when you affect the social norms and the healthcare of people that radically need it because they're at a disadvantage on a good day, you you don't have that right. And then, you know, who gave you the right? <laughs> Literally nobody. Don't even say God. <laughs> it's just, you know, and that's what and that's what kills me. You know, when you put somebody else's life in danger because of your beliefs. No, thank you. I like to picture God like let's all collectively for a second picture God or a God or the God's However you see them, for me, sometimes it's just sort of like an amorphous blob in the universe, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine that being, being like, no, that's not what I fucking meant. Like, what are you doing? No. (laughs) Because that's always what I picture when these people like open their mouths. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's true. Oh my gosh. My favorite is 
you know, you listen to the parables of Jesus. They're like, you know, what do we do if my eye offends you? We'll gouge it, gouge it out. <laughs> yes. Let he among us without sin be the first to condemn, right? Right. Right. You know, you, you know, you listen to the teaching of Jesus. He hung out with sinners. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really okay. You know, but people, people like to mold the, yeah, people like to mold the narrative to fit their own beliefs. And that's, you know, a normal human thing, but you don't get to oppress other people in the process. Can we just briefly, because like it was, it was such a broad topic. I didn't know which direction to go in, but can we just briefly talk about some of the fundies that are on TV? Oh, of course we like the, Oh, that is like the, the trashy, like guilty pleasure piece of this, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Also um, love fundy Fridays on yes. YouTube. Sponsor us. Girl, have us on your show. I'm going to put, she's not even a, a source because I mean, I've been watching her videos to kind of gear up for this, but yeah. I'm going to put her in our show notes just because she's like a wealth of information. She sure is. So I, I, yes. And I listen, the Duggars have been my guilty pleasure for, you know, 15 years. I know. So they are what? What is their sect of Christianity? They are um, non-denominational. That's always the that's always your your clue that it's not good. Mm. Baptists, and they are part of the uh, they're part of the quiverful yes. movement. Gross. Like they they believe that they're building an army of God, so they are having lots and lots of children to be in their that's, God army. That's correct. Army of God for the the rapture, right? Or something like that? I mean, something of that sort. And their oldest son is on trial for child pornography. Yep, he's a pedo. Yes, he is. Which, you know, you see a lot of this in this fundamentalist, in these fundamentalist religions because of the repression of sexuality and things like that. You know, like if people, and I'm not defending this piece of no, shit. No, 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 no. But if people had the ability to explore their sexuality in a healthy way, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he could have, you know, what? I, we're, we're just going to put him over to the side. But if people had the ability to <laughs> where he belongs, we're just gonna, um, if people had the ability to explore those sort of things, then I think we would see much less problematic behavior, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, I think you're I think you're very much correct. Who else? Who else? Uh I don't, I don't, oh, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up because I don't know anybody's names. I just, yeah. <laughs> there were a whole bunch of them, though, that cropped up on yep. TLC is, is really fucking bad. Yeah. Yep. Uh, giving friends, people a platform. I know. And it's like, and I, and I am such a guilty pleasure for TLC. I do, God rest her soul, was it, I need to watch the Eyes of Tammy Faye movie. Tammy Faye, Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, Tammy Faye. Friend of the LGBTQA community. Yeah, I do think it's, yeah, so she was in that PTL, praise the Lord, Christian ministry, and was probably systematically being abused by her husband, and then, you know, went to the depths of hell and back, and (laughs) all the drag queens were really nice to her, and she was like, yeah, yeah, they're just people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And actually, her kids uh funny fridays actually has a really good episode on tammy faye um her son especially is like and you know he's tattooed pierced and all that good stuff and he's a minister that preaches you know inclusivity and you know the actual word of god how it should be instead of you know this terrible you know patriarchal anti everything culture so i'm looking at the fundamentalist wiki Oh, I was and there. they say, 
They say, welcome to the Fundy Wiki, your source for information regarding fundamentalist families. Most of our families were or are active members in IBLP, Institute for Basic Life Principles, and homeschool using the ATI, Advanced Training Institute curriculum. Oh, we follow over 60 families, some of whom are well-known, such as the Duggar family and the Bates family. So that's that must be the other one I was thinking of. Oh, I did a bad deep dive in the Bates once. I did a bad yeah. binge watch to that shit. It's bad. Um, as well as some lesser-known families, such as the Collins family, Bontrager family, and Bowers family. Bowers family. Hmm. I do not know them, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, same. And then there was, so I don't know if this this counts as like fundamentalism per se, but it was definitely a cult. But I watched the HBO Max documentary, The Way Down, mm-hmm. which was a docu-series about this, about Gwen Shamblin and her Christian cult based on weight loss. I don't like that. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Mm-hmm. I watched one of those, um, I watched a bad documentary on one of those purity balls. Uh, that creeps me out so much. Yeah, I was. Oh god, I was hate watching the Duggars ones too, actually. And they were talking about their hair, and they were like, "Why do you keep your hair long?" And they said, "Well, our dad likes long hair." <laughs> I have never done an aesthetic thing because it's something that my dad preferred. No, I don't even factor my dad into anything that I. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, obviously, I'll consider his, like, opinion on, like, if I buy a car or something like that. But yeah. I'm not like, oh, my my dad likes blue, so I'm going to wear blue all the time. That's weird. No, no, never. Oh, my God. So there was a really, a really good horror movie that came out in 2019. I just looked it up. It's called Pure, and it's part of the Into the Dark series on Hulu. Uh-huh. And it is about a purity cult. Uh-huh. And it was a, it was a directed by a woman, Hannah McPherson. And... Aside from the villain, which I thought was really cheesy and kind of like brought the film down a few pegs, it was really, really well done. And so so if you're into horror and and you kind of want to see this sort of commentary on the purity culture and purity balls and that bullshit, then check that one out. Pure, it's called. Oh, God, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could sit through that. Yeah, I mean, even just I think there's a documentary about it as well. And mm-hmm. it was like something about like pledging yourself to your dad. <laughs> no, 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 mm-hmm. um, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. For study and contrast, a very good one was, um, I believe it was Megan. So Westworld Baptist Church. Awful terrible fundamental that's like the, the one thing that all americans can agree on that we all it's fucking true. hate the westboro baptist um, i believe megan phelps uh fred phelps's granddaughter um broke away from the church and has a really 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 fantastic ted talk oh okay yeah so i would recommend listening to i would recommend listening to that um she kind of talked about how she talked about kind of how Twitter saved her life. She kind of would engage in people that disagreed mm-hmm. with her on Twitter. And she was like thinking, and she said, you know what? This is really not a good idea. And also she talked about how people kind of gave her grace and said, you know, hey, you're definitely brainwashed. So this, a lot of this isn't your fault. So right. they kind of like gave her a space to think. And she came away from the church and she, I believe she married somebody that, she got into a fight with on Twitter, <laughs> which is the true American yeah. love story. 
I and I can't I I can't I can't blame people who are born into these things. I mean, no, how could you? They don't could, know. No, of course not. It's why I give it's why I give Elizabeth Moss a pass for being a Scientologist. She was born into it. So yes. Um, even though Scientology sucks. But yes, yeah, so they yes, they do suck. Yeah, Megan Phelps Roper. I would recommend her TED Talk. Do you know what else this entire topic made me think of? What? Do you remember a long time ago I sent you like a YouTube video of this like paranoid uh, psychotic guy who had this the whole thing was god came into my body as a body same size (laughs) (laughs) i'll put the i'll put the sound clip at the end god came into my body and like he introduces himself like that (laughs) like hey guys it's kayla again god came into my body as a body same size (laughs) and then he just continues with with whatever he needs to say (laughs) like it like it was fluid it rolled off of his thumb same size Not a different size, because that would feel weird. Same size. Yeah, you'd feel bloated like you did on Thanksgiving. Maybe when he does feel bloated, he thinks that God came into his body as a body different size. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what happened to me. I went to a I went to um, a surprise party for a, f- a friend of ours, and it was at a brewery, and we got mm-hmm. drink tickets, and all you could get for the drink tickets was beer. I feel so mm. bloated. <laughs> mm. Hmm. Hmm. That's why I don't like. I don't drink beer very often anymore. I mean, it was delicious. It was great beer, but it was three beers, and I feel like I could float away. Um, so I have I have not so random question for you, but I do have a question for you. What's up? What is your favorite Christmas or holiday song? Happy Christmas War is Over by John Lennon. Hmm. Good pick. How about you? I think mine is depending on my mood, right? So if I'm feeling very se- serious about Christmas, it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Judy Garland. Love her. And if I'm feeling more fun, it's Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays by InSync. <laughs> that is fun. I also do enjoy Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen because yeah. ever since I was little, my father would say, it's not Christmas until Unless, we hear. Yes. I was I was listening to that um, while driving the other day and I was like, is this another thing that every American can agree on that Bruce Springsteen is amazing? But no, no, because <laughs> there's Bruce Springsteen is amazing, and there are some people that don't agree with his views and stuff like that. So. I know people get all like jammed up about his views and stuff. Oh, um, I was gonna say I didn't listen to any uh, Christmas music while I was decorating this year, but I did watch The Gremlins, which is a Christmas movie. That is that is fair. I have not watched any Christmas movies. My church actually does. It's actually a lot of fun. We do the greening of the church. So it's a church service where we decorate the church in the middle of service, like where we, you know, you know, turn on all the lights and decorate the tree. And it's a lot of fun. Um, But other than that, like I am not a I am not a Christmassy person. I if people are Christmassy, I totally love that for them. But it is definitely not my gig. However, I love the movie. It's a Wonderful Life. That is one of my favorite movies of all time. I even have a It's a Wonderful Life tattoo. So I, I do enjoy that section of the holidays. And they also usually have an I Love Lucy on TV in color for Christmas. So I do enjoy that as well. Well, mm-hmm. you can find us on Instagram at BiopsychPod and on Facebook at Biopsychosocial Podcast. Mm-hmm. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star review and maybe write a little blurb. That'd be fun. If you didn't like it, we're okay with that. That's fine. Don't you don't have to leave anything. No. You can just go away. You can just go. You can go right to hell. That was Lu- Luna. Stop saying things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
Don't be sorry. That was cute. Whatever you celebrate, however you celebrate, have a good one. I don't think we'll be back until after Christmas now. No, I don't think so. So have whatever kind of holiday you need to have. Have a happy holiday, a sad holiday, a silly holiday, an angry holiday, a complicated holiday. Feel it all. Don't feel like you have to be jovial if you don't want to be. And if you have nothing nice to say, come sit next to me. You can sit between the two of us. Actually, we, we want to sit next to each other. You can sit right in front of us. Yes, and bring some spiked eggnog, please. I love that for us. Okay. All right. We love we you. Love you. Bye. Bye. God entered into my body like a body my same size, like me floating into your, you floating into me.